Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I refuse to have this conversation again. But, Father, please listen. I want to marry him. Marriage is not a simple whim. It's an altogether more complex business. This is no whim, Father. I love Sir Ashurst. He is the man I want to marry. It's that simple. It seems simple because you are little more than a girl, child. A proper marriage settlement involves gold and property. I refuse to simply be sold to the highest bidder like some mayor. You do me an injustice, Emma. I think only of you. Since your poor mother died, your happiness and security have been my sole preoccupation. All I want is to be free from this barricaded fort. Mercifully, you were too young to remember the months when this fort was besieged. The hunger and disease during which your mother died. Four nights I kept a vigil beside her until I would have died myself that day. But I had a baby to think of. It was you who kept me going. I promised her I would always look after you. Her little flower, she called you. The day you were born, she had made me climb down from the ramparts... And pick the white flowers she loved. On the rocks. The only flowers that grow in this forsaken place. Oh, not for long, but for those few months. We work side by side, leasing to the evenings packing orders. There were none of these fancy unions then. We slaved till the job was finished, oh. or dancing, or your fellow may be waiting for you outside. She loved those flowers. She made a garland of your cradle. Dearest father. City Hall. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you kept a few fellas waiting in your time, Ellie. Aye. There were hard times, Mrs. O'Hare. They were gay times. Such singing you heard in this mill. Everything from calm, oily ballads to music hall songs. <laughs> Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer, do. I'm half crazy. Mom, <laughs> I never heard you sing before. Uh, Have I a lovely voice still, Alice, like you once said? Remember me, Alice? Remember Ellie? Mom? Nobody else left remembers me, Alice. I knew we shouldn't have brought her here, Graham. I'm sorry about this, Mr. Jennings. We'll head on. I think being here has slightly upset her. She's doing no harm, Mrs. Bracken. Thanks for letting us bring her in. Best we go is I don't want her to get too excited and cause a bit of a scene. Well, you're in the wrong building then. Our workers 
And the late shift running out of here in terror. <laughs> Convinced they heard Alice calling their name. Oh. Others in the room have heard nothing, of course, but they've been known to play tricks on each other. But occasionally, all things have happened. Reams of paper moved at night that no two men could lift. Boxes thrown about. Unexplained coldnesses. Working here, you just get used to Alice's ghost, and yet, somehow, you never get used to it. Nah, nah, nah. I, I just don't believe in that sort of thing. Have you heard of calling you, Mr Jennings? When you're a foreman like me, workers, even ghost workers, call you a lot of names, but rarely your own. <laughs> I've never heard her speak to me, but I've heard... What? Such beautiful singing. The voice of an angel. That's how the paper described it in the report on a parish concert. I did a bit of research on her in the local library. She sang at a concert just up the road, two months before the Titanic was launched. This mill made all the napkins for the Titanic. Such an order. We never thought we'd get it finished in time. Well, the original newspaper cutting up in the office. She sang something by Puccini. And then, when Irish eyes are smiling. See, the funny thing is, on my last wedding anniversary, I took my wife out for a meal and found myself listening to the pipe music in the restaurant. I had to ask who it was. Puccini. I found that I knew every note because that piece runs through my head every time I walk down these stairs here. This was once the packing day up here. Ah, that's right. Let me see if I still have the article about her. She was always in too much of a hurry down the stairs after we finished packing. Who was Ellie? Alice. She couldn't wait to be out the door. All her talk about the stages she was going to sing on and women here begging for another song or to talk about the shows she saw as a girl in London always talking about herself airs and graces thinking she was above us I didn't like her much Ah, don't say that mom it's true truth is at that time I envied her she ran down those stairs every evening dreaming of the day she'd escape I hated the fact that I couldn't have that dream mom at 16, I hated being ordinary. I wasn't ordinary until her family came back here from London and she started work in this mill and made us all seem ordinary. I used to sing too, you know. People were always calling upon me at parties. You? I never knew that. I sang before she came to work here. The older women begged me for songs, said I was like a lark. I was their pet. <laughs> All the work was hard. But the older women adopted me and made a fuss and often talked of the lovely husband I'd get mm -hmm. with my beautiful long hair. That made me feel special. Uh, I've seen photographs of you as a girl, Ellie. You were beautiful. Tell you, you must have had all the young men here falling at your feet. You only think I was beautiful because you never saw Alice? I never meant it to happen, Alice. Can you forgive me? I know I wished it... But I never wished it to happen. Mum. Mum, are you okay? Listen. What? Mum? Right, Graham, let's go. Okay. Rachel, listen. Can't you hear? Hear what, Mum? Singing. 
And when Irish eyes are smiling, sure they're still your heart away. Wasn't that a gorgeous wee song, Alice? Oh, it's as good as being at a concert. Isn't that right, Ellie? You have a nice enough voice, all right, Alice. Haven't you got one too, Ellie, if you'd only get it trained? I'm always saying you should have lessons. I know what my dad would say if I suggested throwing money away on singing lessons. Hate singing anyway. My dad is always encouraging me, but Mam gets cross and says to talk sense. She won't even go to the concert tonight to hear me if I ever get there at all. How will we get all this work done? I curse this damned order. I thought we'd be gone an hour ago. I'll lose my place in the concert. We'll get finished soon, Alice. Sure half the parish is only going to hear you. I bet your mother will be there, proud as a peacock in the front row. Mum won't be happy until I marry a boring postman. At least you'd have a bit of peace in bed in the mornings at the time postmen get up. Oh, a man's a man. If he can't be there to annoy you at six in the morning for his bit of business, he'll annoy you at four. <laughs> <laughs> sure, if my Jack annoyed me at four in the morning, I'd be asleep by the time he finished. <laughs> I'd wait to find him snoring on top of me. Let's <laughs> <laughs> that talk down. Not to the young girls. I'd want an Italian husband with a big baritone voice who'd sing to me. No. All night. Oh. Well, hide the neighbours wanting a bit of sleep. <laughs> who would you like to marry, Ellie? A kind man who'd take me out of this mill. Uh, You'd be lucky. I'm here 30 years. Men that rob banks in London haven't served 30 years. I wind up like old Maggie on the stairs there, <laughs> barely able to scrub the stone steps for a few pence that keep her bones together. Oh, <laughs> Maggie scares me. Ah, oh, she's a fierce tongue. She called me all kinds of names yesterday for knocking her bucket over. I, I didn't mean to. You'd think she owns those stairs. Get away to hell, you old witch, I said. I'll be out of here one day singing on the London stage and you'll still be here scrubbing those steps. Oh, Maggie wouldn't have liked that. Time was she'd have grabbed you by the hair. I felt sorry and mean afterwards, but she gave me such a fright by shouting. You said the truth, Alice. You'll be gone and we'll all still be here. You can bring me a fur coat and a mother a pair of snuff box. I pay for singing lessons for Ellie. Or... Maybe find her a rich husband off in Italy and ship him to Belfast in a crate. I'll find my own husband. We're only teasing, Ellie. Don't fed up stuck here so late. But another hour and we'll be finished this blasted order. Aye. And we'll go down with Alice to hear her sing at the parish concert. Oh, it was so lovely last time. Even the papers said so. You can come with us. I won't. I'm not going to some silly concert. Enjoy it. Oh, come on, Ellie. You can say you saw me before I was famous. I hope you croak like a frog on stage. Who do you think you are? Looking down your nose at us. Oh, you with all your airs and graces. I hope, Alice, that you never get out of this factory. Ellie. I don't look down on anyone. All your fancy talk of stages and marrying Italians. There's nothing wrong with dreaming of wanting something better. I thought you were my friend, Ellie. Didn't I even ask you to sing a duet with me at the concert? Only to show off my bad singing even more. Don't be silly. It was to get you singing again. You sang all the time when I came here first. Check back what you said, Ellie. You're spiteful, Ellie. I didn't mean it. Apologies. I'm sorry. I'm just tired. Here, give me those sheets. You head on, Alice. Go out the back gate. What? 
I don't mind staying late. I'll finish your work too. I can't ask you to do that. What, what if the bus found out? It's half six. Even if you run, you'll hardly make the start of the concert. Try and get yourself moved back to the end so we can all see if we get there on time. Can I really go? Go on, love. We'll cover for you. What if old Maggie squeals on me? Old Maggie isn't the worst once you leave her in peace. Go, will you? You're a star, Ellie, a real friend. Quick now, while well, Maggie isn't looking. Bye. We'll all help you finish Alice's share, Ellie. It's natural for you to be jealous once in a way. I'm not jealous. That chair. I'll get her some water. Mum! What? What is it, Rachel? Have you heard a word I've been saying? You came over all strange. Why says it? I, I've been visiting. Did I come here to visit old friend? I'm tired. Oh. Take me back to the home. My daughter's coming to visit me soon. I'm your daughter. It's me, Mum. Rachel. You know me, Mum. I know ghosts. I'm 82. At 82, the only friends you have left are ghosts. Shh. Do you forgive me? For what, Mum? I'm not talking to you. Do you forgive me? You heard Dawn Bradfield as Rachel and Doreen Keogh as Ellie, with Jodie O'Neill as young Ellie, Alison McKenna as Alice, John Hewitt as Mr Jennings, Luke Griffin as Graham, and Rosina Brown as Maggie and the Linen Worker. It was written by Dermot Bulger and produced by Gemma McMullen. More Haunting Women tomorrow with The Wedding Bouquet, with the bride turning up on time being the least of the problems. In this weekend's trip to Radio 4 Extra's home of sci-fi fantasy... Master is in, Squire Bok. It is him again, Uncle. 
Will that man ever leave me alone? Uh, could you have perhaps led him on inadvertently in your... You have nothing to offer him. But, Lucinda, father would have wanted me to have my share of his fortune. Father died without making a will. If you marry the man I love, I swear on his grave, Beatrice, that I will cut you off with a pittance. It will be over my dead body that you and your curse set foot inside this house again. Ah, Lucinda, um, have you told her, Beatrice? Yes, but... You are not welcome in my house, sir. No, please, give us a chance to explain. Please, Anthony, can you make her listen to reason? She says she will leave me homeless and without my inheritance. But... But, but you can't. Uh, your father would never have allowed this. Get out of my house, sir, and take this scheming young vixen with you. Uh, please. Uh, Beatrice loves you, and, and I've always valued our friendship. I mean, we never intended for this to happen. I swear, Lucinda, I did nothing to encourage Anthony's affection. And nothing to resist them either. Creed! Why uh, the devil is that servant? Yes. Creed! Yes, Miss Lucinda. Prepare the carriage. I'm going for my ride. Yes, Miss Lucinda. Lucinda, please, you are the only family I have. Please give us your blessing. And I beg you for your consent now, Lucinda. I mean, we have been friends for so long, and, and your sister needs you. She's always looked up to you. The matter is plain, sir. Beatrice can choose you, or she can choose me. If she accepts your proposal, then she is no longer my sister. Lucinda, don't do this. Anthony has made his choice, and now you can make yours. He is penniless, as you will be. You can beg food of the peasants or slave among them, but neither of you will darken my door again. I shall close up this house and go to Paris. Reject him or be gone before my carriage returns in one hour's time. Creed! 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 Who's there? Who's up and about in the dark at this oh, hour of night? It's me, Father. Sharon. Did you hear it too? Hear what? I thought you were in bed long ago, Sharon. I was working late, Father, in the library. I was sorting the books for the auction when I heard someone. There was someone out here. Just the wind. There's nobody here. Should the doors bolted? Now off to bed with you. You look exhausted. But I heard footsteps. Someone running. Ah, probably old Father Riley pottering around upstairs. No, he went to bed hours ago. Sure, who'd want to break in here? There's nothing left to steal in the old place. The sooner that investor pulls the place down, the better, I say. <gasps> After the auction next week, all I want is a nice wee bungalow with no drafts. <laughs> now you get yourself off to bed, my dear. There's nothing to be frightened of. <gasps> Look, Father. The cabinet. The door. It's been opened. See, I told you. Someone has been in the house. I sure, that old thing's ancient. The hinges are coming off of it. Look, probably blew open from the draught. They didn't take anything. They must have ran off when I put the hall light on. I'd say that old riding crop is of value. We should put it somewhere safe. Ah, the riding crop? Yeah, I reckon that's what they were after. It must be quite rare. It's one of a kind, handmade by Russian jewellers. Well, then, we should definitely put it in the library safe. Oh, no. No, leave it here. This is where it's kept. Look, I lock the cabinet. You go to bed. Everything's back to normal. You know who opened the cabinet, don't you? 
Yes, there was someone here, wasn't there? No. Oh, please, Father, tell me. If I tell you now, Sharon, promise not to walk out and leave us in the lurch before the auction. <laughs> not with investors hounding me with their architects and surveyors and the devil knows what. What could make me leave, Father? An old legend. I'm telling you about the family who once owned this house so that you'll know there's no reason to lock your door. I'll tell you in case some local tells you and gets everything wrong. In my opinion, that antique glass cabinet has had a faulty metal clasp for decades and people are too much in love with superstition to bother fixing it. This little riding crop came all the way from St. Petersburg nearly 200 years ago. Who owned it? It was the wedding present of a Russian prince, no less. Wow. He'd swept the eldest daughter of this house off her feet. He might even have made her happy had he lived. She met him after she fled to Paris, but their marriage only lasted a year. They'd honeymooned in St. Petersburg, where the prince presented her with this bejeweled riding crop. Her name was Lucinda, although when she returned to Tipperary as a widow in bad health, she called herself Princess Orloff. How did he die? The plague. St. Petersburg had been hit hard. Did she ever remarry when she came back? She died a lonely woman. Some Tipperary families still talk about their ancestor seeing Lucinda being driven every day in her carriage. It was the only time she was ever seen. Taken a full hour each day to be driven around her estate. The woman owned every local thing, with one exception. What was that? The heart of her childhood sweetheart. He married her younger sister, Beatrice. Lucinda cut the newlyweds off before going to Paris. Marriage to Prince Orloff might have softened her heart had she not returned a widow, with the married couple in the cramped gate lodge a daily reminder of how happiness had passed her by. She must have been very bitter. There are old women in this parish just kept alive by bitterness. Lucinda sacked every servant except her butler, Creed, who was her sole contact with the world. She refused to see anyone. Creed did the shopping and was rarely seen himself, except during her ritual daily drive through her estate. Here she comes again, like clockwork, every afternoon at five past three. Go out and stop her carriage. I cannot stand any more of this, Anthony. Ten years we've been living hand to mouth. The peasants have more to eat than us. If you were any sort of decent man, you'd confront her. For my sake. But she won't listen. She never stops. She enjoys driving past just, just, just to punish us. Please, Anthony. Maybe today she will take pity. Every day you have this chance, yet you are too cowardly. I am no coward. But even though we are penniless, I, I still have a little dignity left. I am tired of hoping for her to have a change of heart. She has no heart, Beatrice. I mean, the sight of her sitting stiff and regal in that carriage with her damn riding crop sickens me. She has Creed drive her past simply to taunt us in our poverty. My father would turn in his grave if he knew how I am treated, with my husband too cowed to confront her. How can you say that? I mean, how often have you seen me stand in the dust of that road with my hand raised and her damn servant almost running me over? And not once, not once has that woman even deigned to bestow upon me the merest nod of her head. 
mean, all I ever get from Creed is a, a quick, furtive, fearful salute, like he is terrified of losing his livelihood if she sees him even acknowledge that I exist. Poor Creed. He is a good man. He has been with my family for years. I pity him in that big house alone with her. She has received no visitors for almost ten years. I often wonder why he has stayed with her. He always looks so troubled. Frightened, almost. I mean, she must be a hard mistress. Keeping him there to wait on her every whim. Perhaps today she will relent. I will try talking to her. Creed will stop for me, I know it. He has known me since I was a child. He knows that someday I will be mistress of this estate after my sister dies, unless I starve to death first. If I go, he will stop the carriage. As my wife, I forbid you. If you won't face her, I will. Beatrice! Beatrice! I don't care anymore. I'd sooner die than starve any longer. Let go of me! Creed, stop this carriage! Move out of the way! Miss Beatrice, step aside, please. Whoa! Otherwise, whoa! Forgive me, sir. I can't do this anymore. Beatrice, you could have been killed. I feared so too, sir. Forgive me. It's your mistress I won't forgive. Leave her, sir. Please. Lucinda, step out of your carriage. I I need to talk to you. I mean, how long can you let her suffer? Sir, I beg you. Stay out of this, man. She will speak to me this day. She she can't, sir. Won't you mean? Too arrogant. Too bitter. Damn you, Lucinda. Do you hear me? Damn you for what you've done to us. She can't, sir. She she can't hear you, sir. What do you mean? Lucinda? Oh, miss, don't approach the carriage. Creed, I demand to know what's going on. She she was a, a strict mistress in life, ma'am, and no less stern and strict in her death. Death? Forgive me, sir. I know she wronged you. What? But she wrote down my instructions in a letter and forced me to sign it in my own blood. I don't understand. I've been too scared to disobey her instructions. It's been nine years since the men came down from Dublin to embalm her. She died of the same plague that killed her husband. It's been a living nightmare, sir, lifting her corpse up in this carriage every afternoon and placing the riding crop in her hand, and then placing her in her bed every night with the riding crop in the glass display cabinet that she'd specially made for the hallway. I've wronged you, Miss Beatrice, kept you from your inheritance, but I was more scared of her dead than alive. And this is the same riding crop? Neither Beatrice nor her husband lived long after inheriting the house. It went to some distant relative, then was bought as a seminary. The riding crop was included. At times, different abbots put it in the cellar or the attic, but all hell had break loose at night, with footsteps, doors banging. Once the riding crop was left back where she wanted it, the house had become peaceful again. Occasionally, some of the priests over the years claimed to see a woman's figure in the hall bending over the cabinet, or hear the noise of hooves at night, but I never believe that. But I do believe this. Once that writing crop is left here, you can sleep peaceful and disturbed by no one. You won't desert us now, will you? Until after the auction. I don't believe in ghosts, Father. Nor I. It's just the rusty clasp on that cabinet that makes it fall open some nights. 
Whoever buys the house can have it. There'll be no room in my nice new bungalow. <laughs> Leave it there and we'll say no more about it. Did Lucinda really have herself embalmed? Yes, it even made the London papers. You'll find the newspaper cutting somewhere in the library. Now go to bed, Sharon, and sleep well. Good night, Father. There we are. The clasp is good and tight. Good night, Lucinda. In The Riding Crop by Dermot Bolger, Jodie O'Neill was Beatrice, Luke Griffin, Anthony, John Hewitt, Creed, Alison McKenna, Lucinda, David Kelly, the priest, and Dawn Bradfield, Sharon. It was produced by Gemma McMullen. Benedict Cumberbatch stars as the Old Bailey hack Horace Rumpole next week on 4 Extra, and as we join him in chambers, it's clear that he's smitten by his pupil, Philida, although he's doing his best to ignore it. It's none of my... Business, I'm sure. But is there some reason you're not at home with your wife? It, it is indeed none of your business. <clears throat> now, here, let me uh, help you on with your coat. Oh, you're awfully kind. It is him again, Uncle. Will that man ever leave me alone? Uh, could you have perhaps led him on inadvertently in your affections, Cecilia? I was civil to him as I would be to any of your guests. Squire Burke's father was often among the guests I welcomed. His renegade son rarely darkened my door before I acquired such an attractive ward. Squire Buck presents his compliments and a brace of woodcocks, Sir Caswell. Thank you, O'Malley. See the good squire in. Uncle, must I really stay in the room? I cannot bear to see how he looks at me. Even in church, his eyes never stop their naked gazing. Uh, you're obviously good for his soul. Burke had ceased to be a part of our small congregation until you blossomed into such a beauty. Take some pity on the man and stay. It's better that he sees your resolve face to face. Squire Buck, Sir Caswell. Thank you, O'Malley. We are blessed with your company once again, Buck. I was passing, Sir Caswell, on my way home this morning when... Didn't I see a flock of woodcock among the trees? Now, I only had two shots on me, but I got a bird with each barrel. And I thought, now they would make a fine, tasty supper for yourself and Miss Cecilia. 
Good afternoon to you, Miss Cecilia. Good day to you, sir. I wondered, Sir Caswell, if you might allow me the opportunity of a word with Miss Cecilia alone. Well, Squire Burkhardt... Please, do not leave us, Uncle. I do not want to speak with you alone, Squire, this afternoon or any other. Cecilia, that is uncalled for. It is from no disrespect to you, Squire Burke, that I have repeatedly declined your marriage proposal. I am but 18 and have no desire at present to be any man's wife. I can be patient, Miss Cecilia. I can wait for years, if it will take years, if you'd only give me hope. My house presently lacks the grandeur of Sir Caswell's, but it will again. Yeah, I have prospects of a great fortune. At the card table. Cecilia. <laughs> well, what Miss Cecilia says is true. When I came into my sudden inheritance, I fell into bad company with rakes from five counties around converging on my table before my father was cold in his vault. I was weak, I admit, and unused to wine because my father treated me cruelly. Please... There is no need for such elaboration. Uh, There is, Miss Cecilia, because you've become my saviour. I wallowed in sin before because I did not feel clean. But in your company, I know what cleanliness and goodness is. I am sorry, Squire Burke, but three times already I have given you my answer. Uh, But I cannot accept your answer because God would not take you away from me. I am afraid that is not the case. I am to return to London, sir. London? You're leaving me? Not you, sir. I am leaving Westmeath and the house of my guardian who has been like a father to me. It grieves me to go, but I have known no peace these last few months and he will know no peace from you until I am gone. Is it peace you want? Hmm? I will drown myself if that brings you peace. Just don't go from this place. Look, it's... Time my ward saw the world. This really is goodbye, I'm afraid. I would sooner cut my throat than say goodbye forever to Miss Cecilia. You will forget me, Squire. Now, I must take my leave, as I have much to do before my departure. Goodbye, Squire Burke. Your presence, Burke, upsets her. Speak to her, sir. On my behalf... You know I am not as black as men paint me. You knew my father. She does not love you. It's time to let her leave. The truth is, we're both losing her, Buck. And we'll be lonely men the last time she walks down the steps from that front door. There it is. Drumshe Castle. But it's only a ruin, Grandy. You told me it was a real castle. Well, when I was your age, it was a real castle. So grand until the night of the fire. Unfortunately, there was nothing that neighbours like us could save. Do you remember how it was before? I do indeed. My mother used to tell us such stories of the place. We lived in a cottage just up there on that hill. All long gone now. We could see the castle towers from our window. The castle was haunted, you know. Really? Oh, yes. The ghosts could probably still roam these old ruins at night. Did you ever see it? I did. Oh, tell me about the ghost, please. 
Well, now, sit yourself down here. Now, let me see. To tell you the story, I need to go back many years before I was a boy here. A hundred years before the big fire happened, there was a young, beautiful lady who lived here, and it was the night before she was due to depart for London. Why is your horse saddled, Uncle? I have received an urgent summons, Cecilia. Unrest in my estates in Tipperary. I will be gone for one night only. Don't look so scared, child. You are safe here. But I leave tomorrow, Uncle. Please don't leave tonight. I heard the servants gossiping that Squire Burke is at the local inn. He has been drinking. What if he comes here? Please, Uncle, stay with me tonight. Burke is not a bad fellow, but easily led by self-pity into every kind of vice and passion. He would not dare venture near the castle this night. I think your last rebuke made sure of that. He's probably wooing some other young lady as we speak. If only that were true. I shall be back to personally escort you to Dublin and see you chaperoned across the Irish Sea. You've seen your last dreary Westmeath winter, Cecilia. Unless in years to come you are persuaded to visit this old guardian who loves you like a daughter. I have loved my years here with you. I would never leave Westmeath were it not for the unease I feel. I do not trust the squire. He will never leave me alone whilst I am here. Burke is not the first fool to bring down a respectable old family with every act of decadence whispered about in his ransacked house. I wager he will not see a natural death. Then don't leave me alone tonight, please. Maybe Burke has deliberately started this unrest on your estates to lure you away. <laughs> you remind me of your poor mother in that green dress, Cecilia. She also could let her imagination run wild. You're perfectly safe. The walls of Drumshee Castle are strong enough to stand forever. By dusk tomorrow, I shall return. By dusk tomorrow... I shall return. The last words she ever heard him say. My mother loved telling that story around our fireside every Halloween night. And it was easy for me to believe that Trumshee Castle was haunted. Why, Grandad? Because I could see it from the bedroom window of our cottage, always in darkness, with just an old caretaker employed to have it ready for the shooting parties over from England in the summer months. Occasionally, you'd see his lantern checking the rooms. But some nights, my mother swore that what we saw was the light carried by the ghost of the girl in the green dress running down the long corridor to the tower. I think it was my mother's way to get us to stay in our beds for fear that Squire Burke's ghost was out wandering the earth. They say it was Burke who tricked her guardian into galloping off to Tipperary on a fool's errand that night. Who's there at this late hour? What do you want? Open the door, damn you, man! Is that you, Squire Buck? Yeah, 
I have orders to admit no one this night. You feel the force of my boots unless you unlock this door. I have an injured gentleman thrown from his horse. Do you want his blood on your hands? Well, bring him around the back where I can see him from the window, please, sir. Damn your impudence. I would sooner walk through hell than use a servant's door. This man is dying. I will have you before the courts. Well, uh, well where is he, Squire? Your, 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 your companion? Out of my way, man. I demand to see Cecilia. Oh, Cecilia, I must speak to you. Please take pity on a demented man. Stay away from me. No, I refuse to. You must hear me out. No, run for the tower, Miss Cecilia. Board the door. Save me from him. Cecilia. <laughs> Look, I'm in hell, Cecilia. Only you can save me. Draw the board, Miss Cecilia. My mother would act out every detail with all of us listening, terrified. How the servants used a battering ram against the door while listening to her screams inside resisting him. They say that when she refused to yield, Burke lost his mind altogether and strangled her with his bare hands, crying out his love all the while. And when the servants broke the door down, wasn't he sitting on the floor, stunned and speechless and resisting no one? as they led him away to be hanged by the magistrate. And there on the bed, with the neck blue from bruising and her eyes wide in terror, was the poor girl, strangled to death. What a terrible man the squire was. And it was Miss Cecilia's ghost that haunted here. She did while there was still a castle to haunt. It was back in 1931. My big brother saw the flames roused us all at the dead of night. There was no chance of saving the house. It was the old caretaker we were worried about, breaking down the hall door, calling his name. Someone said to check the old tower room, but when I reached the tower, there was no sign of him. Then I heard my brother shouting that they'd found the caretaker and I was to hurry back down because the flames were taking hold but I hadn't gone five paces before turning to see a young woman in a green shimmering dress with her neck blue from bruising. She looked lost there, more frightened than me. I was shaking with fear, yet I felt so sorry for her. And I took one step away from her, and she took one step back, and the flames were coming from the rooms downstairs amid the deafening crackle of the fire. But she never, she never looked away from my face. Leaving her there was the most lonesome thing I ever did to anyone. Is that why you brought the flowers? Yes, I like to bring her flowers when I come. I leave them here, under this tree, where the tower once stood. In the years since, I've often wondered if the fire set her free, with no long corridor left to haunt. I like to think she's free, at last. Shimmering Dress by Dermot Bolger. You heard Alison McKenna as Cecilia, Simon Delaney as Squire Burke, Luke Griffin as the butler, John Hewitt as Caswell, 
David Kelly as the grandfather and Hannah Gordon as the child. The producer was Gemma McMullen. A last tale of haunting women tomorrow and a bitter dispute between sisters 200 years ago. The small matter of their being dead doesn't get in the way of their falling out. Christmas time together on BBC One.